Hey, so can I ask you a question that might be a little bit of a silly question at the beginning, but I think I'm going to find that uh, it's probably true of a lot of us. So go with me, okay? Be honest. Um, did you grow up, any of you, uh, grow up watching Sesame Street? If you did, raise your hand. Um, all right. So yeah, a lot of you did, and the rest of you are lying this morning. But... <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Not really. I mean, if you're my age or a little younger than me, you probably did grow up seeing it. I don't even know. Is it still on? Do they still? Is it? Is it still good? No, maybe not so much. Well, so anyway, forget that part. That doesn't matter. If you grew up watching Sesame Street, though, you probably remember this little learning song that they did. And I'm getting ready to feel so silly for doing this, but... But do you remember the little learning song that went something like this? Three of these things belong together. You remember that? Three of these things are kind of the same. And then it goes on to say three of these things, or one of these things doesn't belong here. Now it's time to play our game. Well, the reason I ask you that question is because for the last three weeks in Isaiah 61, we have been learning about three things that belong here. Do you remember them over, or that belong together, I should say, over the last three weeks, we have been talking about the good news from Isaiah 61. Come and behold the good news that you've always been waiting for, always longing to hear. And so we've discovered that the good news of Isaiah 61 is good news for the brokenhearted. Uh, the good news of Isaiah 61 is good news for the captives. Last week, we talked about the good news of Isaiah 61 is good news for ruined lives. You see all of this in verse number one of Isaiah 61 when it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good tidings. It's the good news, the gospel. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the brokenhearted, to uh, the captives, and to those with ruined lives. And so for all three of these weeks, we have really been zeroing in on the good news. You know, we've focused on words like bind up and uh, liberty, set at liberty and comfort and beauty and what other words are in Isaiah 61 uh, verses 1 through 4? Joy and praise and build and raise up and repair. These are all happy words. I mean, that, that could be a word bank for some potential lyrics of a really happy song. We've been so zeroed in on the good news. But if you've been paying close attention every week, if you are an astute and diligent student of the scriptures, you have probably noticed that in all of the good news, there is a phrase in this passage we've been reading, which is sort of like the Sesame Street song, that one of these things doesn't belong here. We've read the words every single week for the last three weeks, but I haven't said anything about them in the previous three sermons. Maybe you thought I was avoiding them on purpose. I wasn't. But if we're going to be honest with the text in Isaiah, we really do have to read them. So let me show it to you. Isaiah 61, verse number 2. He has sent me, verse 2 says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and, everybody say and, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Wow. 
in all of this talk about good news, in, in all of these words of happiness and joy and repairing and restoring and setting free and building up, in the middle of that you have this not so happy phrase where he mentions the day of vengeance of our God. And it seems at a glance like it doesn't fit in the text, like it doesn't belong here. Now, we should know and acknowledge immediately that this phrase in verse number two is not a standalone phrase. In other words, it's not the only place where the Bible warns us about the vengeance of God. In fact, you know this to be true, don't you? Any honest reading of the Bible would tell us this, that the Bible speaks often about the wrath and the vengeance of God. Old and New Testaments, Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end, the Bible tells us, warns us of the vengeance and of the wrath of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 say this, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those that do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Wow. I mean, the Bible talks about one day Jesus returning and it uses words like flaming fire and vengeance and those who are uh, judged for disobeying the gospel, rejecting the gospel and and disobeying God. So again, I, I could give you many examples, but when you read Isaiah 61, verse number two, when he says, I've been sent to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, it shouldn't surprise us that this word of vengeance is there. We're gonna talk about it today. If we're gonna be honest with the text, we have to talk about it, but I'll make you a deal. Let's don't begin with the vengeance word. Let's begin with good news. If you're up for that, say amen, right? We'll, be, we'll start with some good news and then we'll wrap up maybe with a warning um, at the end. So go back to Isaiah 61. Look at verse number two. He, he doesn't only talk about the day of the vengeance of our God, but he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, verse one. Uh, he sent me to preach the good news to the brokenhearted, or the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound, verse number two, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord. Now, if you have a more modern translation of the Bible, it might word it like this, to preach the year of God's favor. See, the word acceptable in this verse means favorable. It's another way to say it, to preach the favor of the Lord. We could say it this way, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news of the good pleasure of God or God's good will. That's what it means when he says the acceptable year, the time of God's favor, the time of God's good pleasure or the time of God's good will. Let me enlarge that a little bit. The time of God's good will toward man. Does that sound familiar? Go to Luke chapter 2, where you've got your Bible already marked, and let's read about it. Luke chapter number 2 talks about this time of God's good favor or God's 
goodwill toward man. I'm going to begin in verse number 1. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone, into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord uh, shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The word sore is the Greek word mega. They were mega afraid, really afraid. You would have been too. Verse 10, and the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill. Maybe I say it this way, peace and God's good will, peace and God's favor toward men. Draw the comparison, tie the two passages together. Isaiah 61, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, projected, prophesied, proclaimed that there would be this reality of the Messiah who would come to bring the favor of God. And the year of God's favor, proclaimed in Isaiah 61, is in fact God's goodwill toward man, proclaimed by the angels in Luke chapter number two. I love the fact that Luke records for us the fact that the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem inaugurated this season or this age or this time of God's favor upon men. Now, I don't mean to say that God never was favorable or God never showed grace to men before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. There is grace that, that man has encountered every day since creation. But the season of God's favor, the season of redemption, uh, was inaugurated with the birth of Jesus. Let's talk about that for just a minute. The Bible says much to us in the New Testament. It unfolds for us um, the motivation and the extent of the favor of God. Uh, John chapter 3 and verse number 16, which so many of us could quote uh, from memory, explains to us what it was that motivated God's favor 
to us. You know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever would believe in him uh, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And so the favor of God is his posture toward us, right? The favor of God is his good pleasure toward us or his good will toward us. But the favor, the posture of God toward us is motivated by his love for us or his love that is a love, verse 16, uh, John 3, 16 says, for the whole world, that God loves the world so his posture is his favor toward us. And then in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul explains the extent to which Christ went to bring that favor. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows or demonstrated his love for us in this, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us. That motivated his favor. But the favor of God must be uh, purchased for us It must be paid for. The wrath of God must be satisfied. And so Christ went to the greatest extent to bring us the favor of God. Romans 5, 8, he demonstrated that love in that he gave his life for us. So the story of Christmas is really not only the story of the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of God, but it's the story of the extent to which Jesus went to bring us God's Favor. He died for us on the cross. And then uh, again in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, uh, you have a hint, you have some insight as to how far or to whom the, the favor of God reaches. Listen to Mark 16 and verse 15. That verse says, Go into all the world, all the world, and preach the gospel. That is the good news of God's favor. Preach the gospel to every creature. So this is the story of Christmas, right? This is what we're celebrating this Christmas, that that our great God, um, motivated by deep love for all of us, um, sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could encounter, we could walk in, we could know in this life and eternity, we could know the favor of Almighty God. That really is the Christmas story. And if you leave Jesus in the manger, right? If you, if, if for you, Christmas is all about the manger scene on your mantle at home and, and you see the little wise men coming and the shepherds and, and, and that's all you see, then you will, have, you will have missed the favor of God. You will have had a celebration that people all around the world have without ever understanding the reality of it. That this reality of Christ's coming is to bring us the favor of God. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the favor of God. Will you say that phrase out loud with me? It just sounds good to say it. The favor of God. Say it. The favor of God. The favor of God. I want to to live in the favor of God, don't you? I want to walk in his favor. Um, Have you ever walked into a room with some person who has great power and authority? Maybe when you were a kid, it it would have been your your parents, or maybe it's your employer or your boss or or, uh, uh, some sort of um, uh, magistrate if you're in, in 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 trouble with the law. But you walk into a place and there's a person of great authority. 
And immediately when you walk in, don't you try to size up whether or not you're going to experience their favor or their displeasure. You know, you kind of, you know how things are going to go by the posture that you encounter when you come in. And, and so when I think about Almighty God and his majesty and his power and his authority, I promise you, I need his favor. And I want to walk in his favor. And so I'm glad that Isaiah said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has sent me to proclaim the year of God's favor. I want you to jot this down, if you will. Something you should know about the favor of God is that God's favor is active. It's not passive. I really want you to get your heart wrapped around this. The favor of God is at work. Um, It's alive. It's active. It's not stationary. Or it's not passive. The favor of God is not like a breeze that comes out of a out of a, a room fan. And if you can find your place right in front of it, you'll feel a little breeze. Now, the favor of God is like the wind that blows through the world. It's it's pursuing you. Did you notice the activity? You don't have to turn back right now, but did you notice the activity in Isaiah 61? It wasn't favor is available. All who are interested come and inquire. It was the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He is anointing me. He has sent me. I am proclaiming. I am opening the doors. I am binding up the brokenhearted. Do you see? It's not passive favor, it's aggressive, active favor where his posture toward us is the pursuit of us that we might know his favor. And you see this in the nativity uh, story as well. In Luke chapter number two, there are numerous people in this passage who encounter the favor of God. A better way to say it is they are encountered by, they, they, they are overtaken by the favor of God. And their experiences with the favor of God are instructive for us. I'm going to run through them really, really quickly. I'm going to give you five of them, and we're going to do it in a minute and a half each, all right? So under 10 minutes for these five. If you believe it, say amen. amen. I'll do my best. Do you believe that Mary, Mary experienced the favor of God? Do you believe that? She did. Write it down. Uh, write it down this way. The favor of God supersedes the laws of nature. When we live in the favor of God, uh, the laws of nature can sometimes be, be uh, set aside on our behalf. In other words, when you live with the favor of God, everything doesn't always go like you, like you think it ought to go. I think you would agree with me that it is a setting aside of the laws of nature for a virgin to conceive. Amen? That cannot happen biologically unless the favor of God is upon you. Look at Luke chapter number one, what the Bible says in verse number 28. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary in Nazareth, the Bible says in verse number 28, the angel came in unto her and said unto her, Hail, thou that art highly favored. 
Mary encountered the favor of God, and the result was God did something so profound in her life, it could be explained in no other way except the miraculous grace of Almighty God. Mary, you're going to conceive, bear in your womb the Messiah, the Savior. His name shall be called Jesus. He will be great and be the son of the highest. And she said, how can this be? This is impossible. The laws of nature will not allow this to be so. I have never known a man. I'm a virgin. And he said unto her, the glory of the highest shall overshadow thee, and you will conceive. Here's what I want you to know, that when the favor of God is upon your life, God can do things in your life that would be impossible otherwise. Amen. I remember one time asking Dr. Billy Graham, we were, we were having a private, just me and him having a private conversation in his home. And I said, Doc, how do you explain your ministry? I mean, this is when he's in his, in his late 80s, maybe early 90s. I said, how do you explain the last 60 years of your life? And he pushed back from his desk and he said, the favor of God. There's no way to explain it, he said, except the favor of Almighty God. When the favor of God is upon us, God can do in our lives what he wants to do. Here's the second thing about favor. God's favor overrules the commands of kings. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 1, Caesar had an agenda. The agenda was that he would hold a census, gather in greater taxation from the uh, inhabitants of his empire... And so he sent everyone to their home city to register in the census. Caesar had a plan, but God was overruling in the plan of Caesar because God had prescribed in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 that the Savior would be born not in Nazareth, which is where Mary and Joseph were, but in Bethlehem. And there's no reason they would have made a journey with her nine months pregnant up to Bethlehem. They would have never done that. They would have stayed right there where their families were, right there in their home in Nazareth, right there where she would have been comfortable and well able to deliver that baby. But the baby had to be born in Bethlehem. So God raises up a king to call for a census, to command Joseph to take Mary and to go to Bethlehem. You see, here's what I want you to know, that when the favor of God is on you, you cannot explain how God can even overrule the commands and the, and the rule even of kings and governments. I'll never forget years ago when uh, um, uh, we were looking to buy these 100 acres. This goes back about, about 14 years. We were looking to buy these 100 acres where our campus is now. It's an old dairy farm, no road in here, no power in here, no water in here. There's a, nothing in here but hills and cows. And, and uh, it's just an old dairy farm. And uh, somebody said to me, hey, if we're going to buy that property, we, this was like a year before we did, if we're going to buy that property, we better get a deposit down. If we're going to buy it, we better get it under contract. We're praying about it. We, we better take some steps. And I remember saying, if God wants us to have that property, the richest man in the world can't buy that property. If it's ours, it's ours. And God will take care of it. The favor of God overrules the commands of kings. Number three, am I doing it in a minute and a half? No, I'm not. Number three. The favor of God invades our dull and mundane lives. Everybody will say amen. Listen, when you walk in the favor of God, your life is anything but boring. Your life is anything but mundane. It is exciting. It gives our lives meaning. Look at Luke chapter number 2 and verse 8. Think about these shepherds. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 8. The Bible says of, these, uh, of this uh, night when Jesus was born. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch 
over their flock by night. Can you imagine a more, I don't mean to knock shepherds, I'm all, you know, God bless them. But can you imagine a more boring job than being a shepherd? You're just walking around the fields, walking the hillsides of Judea, taking care of the sheep. Come here, sheep. I don't know how you call sheep. But I know they, ha- they know the shepherd's voice. Jesus said that in John chapter 10. But I mean, all you, all you hear. And uh, having to keep the goats from messing up the flock and the herd. And, and just, just mundane, kind of the lowest in, in that culture, in that economy. Kind of the lowest on the totem pole. They, they were just in this boring, mundane life until suddenly the favor of God showed up on their lives. And they became the first evangelists. Did you know the shepherds were the first evangelists? Look at it, Luke chapter two, verse number eight. These shepherds get word that Jesus has been born. Verse number 15, they said, let us now go to Bethlehem, see the thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse number 17, when they had seen what the Lord had made known to them, they had seen Christ, the baby. When they had seen what the Lord had made uh, known to them, they uh, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. I got to tell you, the favor of God fell upon these shepherds' lives and suddenly their existences, which were boring and mundane and unappreciated by the community, now they become the first ones to proclaim that the Christ child has been born and they tell it all around. It gives us meaning and purpose in our lives. The favor of God, number four, dispels our fears. Luke chapter two and verse number nine the shepherds, the angel comes upon them and verse number nine says, and they were mega afraid. They were so afraid. The favor of God dispelled their fears though because the next verse says, the angel said unto them, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I don't know what you're afraid of today. I don't know what you're worried about. But I'm certain that most of us have concerns and fears in our lives. And perhaps you have some some of the greatest fears and concerns you've ever known that you're facing right now. Here's what I want you to know. Walk in the good pleasure of God. Lean into the Lord's grace. Walk in his favor and his, his favor will dispel your fears. And then lastly, what we need to know about God's favor is that it is for all People. I love this. You may not notice it really in a cursory reading of the nativity story, but verse 10 says, uh, The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And so this is all nations. This doesn't just mean all the Jewish people. It means all the nations. God's favor is active. Uh, it is pursuing us. It supersedes the laws of nature overrules the commands of kings, invades our dull lives, dispels our fears, and it is for everybody. If you believe it, say amen. It's the favor of God. Isaiah 61, I have come, been anointed to tell you that God has favor toward you. Secondly, write this down somewhere, God's favor produces an intended outcome. So God's favor has an, an intended outcome. So don't Get the wrong idea about God's favor. Some people view the favor of God as this depository 
of great and rich blessing. And if I walk in the favor of God, it's rather like the person who pulls the arm on the slot machine and it always comes up triple sevens. I'm walking in the favor of God. I'm happy, healthy, wealthy, right? Not always, no. That's not the intended outcome of the favor of God. Um, it's not like a, rubbing a lamp and the genie comes out and gives me all my wishes. The intended outcome is prescribed for us in Luke chapter number 2. Look at it again in verse 14. He says that uh, the, angel say, or the angels said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, in the favor of God, here's the product. You see it? Peace. Peace. The favor of God has an intended outcome, and the, in, the intention of the favor of God coming upon our lives is that we would know in our fears and in our uh, circumstances and in our boring lives made significant and in our marriages and our families and our homes, our communities, that we would know the peace of Almighty God. Now this is significant because if you were to go all the way back to the beginning, when man fell in the garden, what immediately disappeared? When Eve partook of the fruit, gave to Adam and he partook, something vanished from the earth instantly. And what it was, was peace. Peace with God, because the Bible says the very first thing that they knew after they partook of that fruit was that they knew they were naked. They'd never known it before. They had, they had been so innocent, so at peace with God, they had no clue that they were naked. That's what innocence brings, by the way. Uh, my daughter and her husband, just uh, she delivered our grandson just two weeks ago. And that little guy's precious. But I got to tell you, he'll lay in front of the whole world buck naked. He don't care. <laughs> He's so innocent. He has no clue he ought to cover up. But it won't take him long, right? It won't take him long. He'll figure it out. When as he gets a little older, he'll figure it out. I'll probably ought to put a diaper on or something. Because we ought to cover up. What happens is when innocence fades then that, that, that uh, innocence goes away and they knew in Genesis 3, they knew that they were uh, no longer at peace with God. They knew they were naked. And by the way, they had no peace with each other either because Adam and Eve immediately began blaming one another and the peace evaporated from their marriage. And then there was no peace in their hearts and there was no peace in their family because a few years later, Cain killed Abel. What happened? What was the result of the fall? Peace evaporated. And so in Luke chapter 2, in the nativity story, the, the season, the year of God's favor comes into the world with the birth of Jesus. And the angel says, glory to God in the highest. Here's what will bring him great glory. His favor will result in peace. Peace with God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus. This is what the favor of God brings. It brings peace. It brings peace within. Philippians 4 and verse 7 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then there's a promise of peace. Peace with God now. Peace within. Peace with one another. But then there's a promise that one day when Jesus returns there will be peace. You've probably gotten some Christmas cards this 
the season that, that say on the cover, they've got this beautiful, ornate script, and the word is peace. The season of peace, that God's incarnation brings peace. Why? What does it mean? It's promising that because of Jesus and his birth, I can have peace with God, I can have peace within, and that one day there will be peace on the earth. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the, say it with me, the Prince of Peace. That's what it means. I've told you this before, Isaiah 9, 6 is, is more of a second coming verse than it is a first advent verse. It, it really is promising that one day Jesus will come again. And when he does, there will be peace on the earth. So God's favor is active. It's not passive. It has an intended outcome. So think about that. Put that together. Because of the fall, Adam, Eve, and all of their children, that's me and you, lost peace. It evaporated. No peace with God. No peace within. Broken peace at best amongst ourselves. And yet the year of God's favor ushered in this great hope of peace. And in God's favor, his peace comes to us. It is active. It pursues us. It promises all these things. And it assures us that peace is available. God's favor is good. Don't you agree? But there's one final thing you need to know, and I want you to jot it down. And this is where we end with the bad news. But you need to know the truth. And it is to say that God's favor is not open-ended. God's favor is not open-ended. I want you to leave Luke chapter 2, and let's close back in Isaiah 61, where we began, please. Isaiah 61, verse number 2, if you'll remember it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim. And as surely, as certainly, as the Spirit of the Lord was upon Isaiah to point to the Messiah, Jesus, who would proclaim it himself, as surely as he proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. and He has anointed me to proclaim the day of the vengeance of our God. Get this. The message is not God's favor and his vengeance. As emphatically, as clearly, as boldly, as certainly as there is the favor of God that is available, there is the vengeance of God for those who reject his favor. Wouldn't be in the passage if it were not true. Remember, the birth of Jesus inaugurated that season of peace, that season of favor, but it will not last forever. I'm going to ask you to turn back two pages to Isaiah chapter 55. And I want you to look at verse number 6 and hear, hear the encouragement. In fact, look at verse 1, Isaiah 55 and verse number 1. What a... What an encouraging verse. Everyone that is thirsty, come to the waters. He that has no money, come, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's an invitation. Come and drink. It's free. But look at verse number six. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him 
while he is near. Now, loved ones, if the Bible invites us, in fact, implores us to call upon the Lord and to seek the Lord while he may be found, while he is near, then doesn't it stand to reason that there will come a day when that door will close? When the day of God's favor will give way to the day of the vengeance of God. Isaiah 49 says the same thing, but let me share it with you from 2 Corinthians 6, where Paul quotes Isaiah 49. He says this, In a favorable time, in the time of favor, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I've come to invite you today. I've come to invite you into the peace of God, into the favor which brings the peace of God. The favor of God which actively is pursuing you to do things for you, to to bring into your life grace and blessing that you could know no other way. Primarily peace with God, peace in your soul, and peace ultimately that will be on this earth and you will be a part of it. But that invitation is today. I know it's today. I don't know if it will be tomorrow because I don't know what tomorrow holds. But if you sit in this church today breathing, it is today. And I invite you to receive the peace of God because his favor is toward you. Would you bow your heads with me, please, on both campuses? and Let's pray together.